good evening. It's a pleasure to be with you. I always love being here, both being in the audience and being able to share the Word of God. I don't take that uh, opportunity and that privilege lately. Uh, when I'm not here, I'm almost always watching online, and uh, if not, I catch up with it a day or two afterwards. How many of you have been here for uh, Alex's whole series on Philemon? Any of you been here for full time? Uh, if you haven't seen the whole thing, I recommend that you uh, do look at the videos. I thought they were excellent teachings. Always enjoy when Alex shares. Um, let's turn to the book of Philemon. We are finishing up the book. We're going to be reading verses 17 through 25. Philemon is just one chapter. We'll be reading verses 17 through 25. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you for the great gift of your word, for the vibrant communication, Father God, of your love, your grace, and your mercy through each and every story. We thank you for this book, Father God, that is so often overlooked but is so rich. We pray that you would help us to continue to pull from it the truths that your Holy Spirit is instructing us with. We thank you once again for your son, Jesus Christ, and for that great gift of forgiveness through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Philemon was written somewhere around 60 or 62. Uh, but Paul wrote it from prison, and the book was carried, uh, or the letter, excuse me, was a personal letter carried to a man named Philemon in a city called Colossae. It was carried with the book to the letter, uh, or the letter to the people of Colossae, which we know as the book of Colossians. One of the people probably carrying it was a slave named Onesimus. Now as Alex has very uh, made very clear, slavery in New Testament times was not like the horrific slavery that um, we had in our own country. Uh, there were times that were better or worse for slaves in the Roman Empire, uh, but it was not the same type of thing as it was in our, uh, in our country. This letter is a personal letter that is sent to Philemon regarding this slave Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave, and somehow, he stole money or did something from Philemon, took that and ran away. He ran away on what may have been a months or more journey and ended up in Rome. And somehow, whether intentionally or unintentionally, ended up meeting with the Apostle Paul. When he met with the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul led him to the Lord and he became a Christian. He stayed and helped the Apostle Paul as Paul was in, in prison, in house arrest. Uh, they didn't take care of you. You needed friends to take care of you if you were in prison or house arrest during that time. But then Paul realizes that he needs to send Onesimus back to Philemon and they need to work through their relationship. Now he is sending him back and he says, this man has become like a son to me. He is now a brother in the Lord to you, and he appeals to Philemon for his freedom. 
Now, Philemon had the right to punish him. Depending on what you read, he may have even had the right to have him killed under the Roman um, laws. But Paul said, look, I want you to free him. I want you to treat him like an equal, like a brother in Christ. And I'd really like it if you sent him back so that he could continue helping me in the ministry. Now, this would have been unheard of in that day, but this is what Paul's appealing to him for. And through this, uh, covering this letter, Alex has uh, pulled out a great number of points about forgiveness. Let's uh, start reading the book of Philemon, verse 17 through 25. You'll notice that at the end of the book, there is the closing of a personal letter. During much of what we're going to read, the word you is singular, but towards the end, the word you is plural because Paul is writing to Philemon and his family. There was a church that met in his home to have a home big enough for this small church, the home group to meet in, who probably was a relatively wealthy man. Starting at verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him, Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I think that's our real key verse here. Paul says, if he did anything wrong to you, don't require that from him. Get, send me the bill. If he owes you money, I'll pay it. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Now, he didn't usually write letters. He would, he would uh, dictate them to what we would consider like a, a male secretary. And they would write that, write the letter out. But he says, look, I'm writing this with my own hand, this last part, so that you can tell that I am saying I will officially be responsible for whatever he owes you. I, Paul, verse 19 again, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Paul may have led Philemon to the Lord. He said, you know, you got quite a benefit from me, but... If this man owes you anything, I'll pay it. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me. I hope to be restored to all of you in answer to your prayers, plural. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now we'll notice a few things here in the text. Number one, through in here and in the rest of the New Testament, we notice that Paul does not directly attack the institution of slavery. However, the teaching of Jesus and the teaching that Paul presents, within about 300 years, slavery was eradicated from the Roman Empire. Paul didn't want to create a revolution because he knew that a lot of people would get hurt. He didn't say, all of you slaves, let's just revolt. Jesus is your Lord just as much as anybody else is, so let's, let's revolt. He didn't want to do that because he knew people would be hurt. Only 110 years before this, 
was the slave revolt that we know was led by Spartacus. That name that you've heard or movies that you've seen, that's a real historical situation. At that time, thousands of people died, and at the end of that slave revolt, most of the slaves were hung on crosses, just like Jesus was, along the roadways. The roadways were paved with crucified slaves. But Paul does something more than just talking. He rolls up his sleeves and he gets involved in one man's personal situation. This man Onesimus that I've just led to the Lord, I am going to appeal to this man who he was working for, for his freedom and for more than his freedom. Number two, we see that Paul is appealing for mercy and grace. Mercy means not enforcing the punishment that someone deserves. Grace is providing good things for people that they do not deserve. Paul is asking for both. And third, in this text, we see that Paul offered to pay for all of Onesimus' offenses. Where did he get an idea like that? From Jesus. Jesus paid for all of his offenses. You remember, it wasn't that long ago that Paul was standing, holding the coats of those who were stoning Christians to death. And when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he understood that he had been part of killing these wonderful people that God had called to himself. He experienced what that guilt and that shame felt like, and he was released from that as Jesus paid for his offenses. He now stands up and says, I will pay for anything that Onesimus owns. Remember those words of verse 18. If he has done you any wrong, or owes you anything, charge it to me. This is what Jesus has done for each one of us. Any sin, any offense that we have done against God our Father or against one another can be forgiven because Jesus said, I will pay the price. Any offense that Sam has done, charge it to me. And Paul now takes that and passes it on. Or to use some of more modern li uh, lingo, he pays it forward. Jesus did this for me. I am doing this for my friend who has become like a son to me. How can we apply this teaching to our lives? Number one, how might you change the world? One person at a time. Paul didn't write a book about slavery. He got involved with someone that needed his help. Nothing wrong with writing books. Paul didn't start a march or a revolution. Nothing wrong with some of those things. But he got involved, as I said, he rolled up his sleeves and got involved in the life of a person who needed help. We can be very concerned about, say, something like literacy levels. But are we willing to say, I will spend time teaching someone to read? We can get very involved in the politics of it, but are we willing to get involved in the service of it? 
Secondly, are your social transactions characterized by grace and mercy? Many of us want whatever our rights are, we want all of our rights. If we ever have an advantage, we want to take that advantage. Notice that Paul said, you know, as an apostle, I could require that you do this, but I am asking, I'm appealing to you to do this. Just this morning, I saw a video of a high school wrestler from New York. It was a state championship, and of course, he wanted to win. But he was losing the match. Right before the match was almost over, as he was wrestling with this other young man who wanted to win, he flipped the young man, and the young man sprained his elbow. He was in tremendous pain. With my foot, I have a little bit of an idea what that might have felt like. So this young man who is winning the wrestling match is injured, but the match is going to go on. Now that young man, having this injured person there wrestling with him, could easily have won. They went to their corners, they come back, they get ready to wrestle. I don't know if you know much about high school wrestling. One man is down on his hands and knees and the other person stands next to them and tries to keep or take them down. And when they blew the whistle, he just laid there. Didn't do a thing and let the other man win. Now he had an advantage, but he said that young man worked just as hard as I did. He was winning. Just because his arm got sprained doesn't mean that he should lose. He had the right and the advantage to win. But for him, sportsmanship was more important. What would the world look like if we abandoned the notion of fairness and embraced mercy and grace, which is the very foundation of forgiveness? Not just for ourselves, but for everyone. We all want mercy. We all want grace. We want to get out of this punishments that we see coming our way, and we want God to give us more than we deserve. But what if we pursued that for everyone else, not just for ourselves? What if we didn't always take advantage of every advantage that we had? What if we didn't always stand up for our rights? The series is primarily about forgiveness. When we choose to forgive someone, we lay down our right to see them punished because we want what God's best for them. Are we willing to do that? Now, when we forgive someone, we don't only free ourselves, but we free them. We have to remember, and Alex has touched on some of these points, that forgiving someone does not mean that what the other person did was okay. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you have to allow yourself to be fooled or tricked or taken advantage of again. Forgiving someone does not mean that you need to forget that it happened. Some of us grown up in church and we were told, God forgives and forgets, we need to forgive and forget. But the scripture doesn't call us to that. God can forgive and forget because he sits in a very safe place. We do not. One of the most powerful stories that I've ever heard from a Christian counseling context was a woman who had been sexually abused by her father. She came to the Lord, 
And as she was working through her life with the Lord, she felt from the scripture that she needed to forgive her father if she was going to be free to move on. And so with some help and some counseling and love from a loving community, she was able to forgive her father. But someone told her, if you forgive, you need to forget. You need to act like it never, ever happened. And so one day her father offered to babysit her baby daughter, her young daughter. And she didn't feel comfortable with that, but she said, I need to act like it never happened. So she forgot. And the father abused her as well. We are not called to forgive and forget. There's nothing wrong with forgiving someone and saying, you cannot be in my life. Or there are boundaries that I've set in my life that you are not allowed to cross. That is biblically okay. It is the great gift and work of God to forgive and forget. We are only called to forgive. But when we talk about forgiveness, extending grace and mercy to people, sometimes that seems very difficult. But it is at the core of Christianity. The great Christian thinker G.K. Chesterton once said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It's difficult to extend forgiveness. Difficult to extend mercy. Difficult to extend grace when we have been harmed or slighted. But God has given us these instructions for a reason. This is how we find freedom and how we can even extend freedom to others. The gospel, grace and mercy and forgiveness is the only cure for mankind. As long as we dispense inferior medicine, we will get inferior results. We need to commit ourselves to grace, to mercy, and to forgiveness. Following Jesus' example, Paul's example, so that we can get the kind of results that they got. Third, what might the world look like if we paid it forward like Jesus and like Paul. We need to put ourselves in this story. Every one of us has the potential of being Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul in this story. When you need to be forgiven, you're Onesimus. You've offended. You owe. But we go to God and he so graciously forgives. When you need to forgive your Philemon, the one who's been offended, the one who is owed. And we then are faced with the decision, do we forgive or not? But I want to call us even further. Not only to be Onesimus, not only to be Philemon, but to be Paul and really like Jesus. Are we willing to cultivate forgiveness in our own communities, even at a personal cost. Let's say two of your friends are arguing. He borrowed $10 from me, never paid me back, and I'm not gonna put up with that anymore. Are we willing to say, 
Here's the $10 if that's all it takes. I don't care if it costs me. Let's get this relationship back on track. Let's see reconciliation. Let's move forward. Now that's a small thing. But there are a lot of other things, a lot of other ways in which we can facilitate reconciliation. There are some social issues that people fight politically where many times there are parties that need to say, you know, you have been hurt. You have been wronged. Not just as a person, but as a people. And we ask you to forgive, as opposed to fighting the politics. Embracing the issues. We need to be able to do that. Now let's, in closing, just look at this story. When I say story, I don't mean it didn't happen. This is a true account of what happened. We have this letter that gives us the history. What we don't get in the letter is, what did Philemon do? Did he forgive Onesimus? Or did he not? This is very similar as the Holy Spirit instructed the writing of this letter, very similar to when you see a movie, where at the end of the movie, the person has two choices, and it just goes black, and you have no idea what they did. How many of you are frustrated by that? See, I don't like that. Don't end the movie and not let me know what happened. Let me know what happened. But sometimes, they're there right at this crucial point where they need to make a decision. Are they going to go back to the old girlfriend or to the new girlfriend? Are they going to take the job or not? Are they going to take the trip or not? Or whatever the case might be. What are they going to do? And you get right to the end and the person seems to be making the decision, maybe turning to their left or right or saying a word, yes or no, and then it just cuts to black and we have no idea. Now when, when that happens, that puts the decision on the audience. And that's exactly what we have here. At the end of the letter, we don't know what Philemon did. But what's more important is, what am I going to do when I am faced with a decision? Do I forgive? I've been on this earth for 60 years. Starting to show a little bit of wear and tear. But from everything that I've seen, I pastored for 20 years and I've counseled for more than those 20. The people who accept the brave challenge to forgive are the freest people. So what happened? We get to this high point in the story and we don't know. I venture, although I don't know, that Philemon forgave Onesimus. And maybe did even more, like Paul asked. Why? Well, Paul had a lot of influence. Secondly, Philemon was a man of good Christian character. Third, the letter's still with us. If that letter would have went there and he would not have forgiven him, it would have been an embarrassment. It wouldn't be the kind of thing that you would pass around for the next 2,000 years. And then there's this other little hint. We don't know for sure if it's the truth. 
But in one of the neighboring towns, Ephesus, years, a few decades after this, there becomes a man, there's a man who becomes a bishop in the church in Ephesus. And his name is a common Roman slave name, Onesimus, who may very well have been this same man that's addressed in this letter. Maybe by Philemon embracing the responsibility of forgiving this person who had wronged him and allowing him to go back and to work with Paul, maybe this man rose to the level of being a bishop and having great influence over the early church. Who could you forgive that would allow them to be free to find their God-given destiny? Or for whom do you need to ask forgiveness? So you can be free to find the same. Let's close. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to explore this wonderful little book. And while we don't know exactly what happened, somewhere along the line, my first 10 or 20,000 years into heaven, I'm going to seek Onesimus out and find out. But what, while we don't know what happened, we are inspired, Father, to forgive and to live a life of forgiveness, mercy, and grace. May we exude those Christian characteristics in all of our social relationships and interactions. May we, Father, step up to be more like you so that we could love more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.